Hello, this is Casper Kelly, uh, co-creator of the Scooby-Doo Project, and you're listening to a podcast named Scooby-Doo. Yeah! Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of a podcast named Scooby-Doo, the show that attempts to unravel 50 years of mysteries, meddling kids, and masked villains. My name is Mike Josick, and I'll be your guide through all things ghostly and groovy as I investigate every angle of every mystery and beyond. So grab yourself some Scooby Snacks, fire up the mystery machine, and let's start the show. I wonder what's going on with the Hex Girls. Oh, Dusk's dumping Thorn and Luna to go solo. How do you know that? Popular magazine. I never leave the States without it. And we are back. I am excited to be back. I'm excited to have another conversation for you guys, for your listening pleasure. And I am thrilled to have one of the writers from the What's New Scooby-Doo iteration of the franchise. It was the show that uh, ran, I believe, between 2003 and 2005. It kind of brought things back to the forefront for Scooby-Doo. It had sort of been dormant, but then the live-action movies came out, and then this series came out, and it just kind of set things in motion, and things have been going ever since with the uh, direct-to-video films and the television series sort of running parallel. What's New Scooby-Doo is a show that sort of brought me back to the franchise to a certain degree. So it's always been one of the shows that I've wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive in to kind of get my fingers into it and talk to some of the people who have worked on it. Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but as circumstances have worked out, I just haven't really had a chance to talk to anybody from the show uh, for the first couple years of the podcast. But that's all changed. That has all changed. Because, as you probably know, because you've probably read the podcast title before downloading or clicking on it, uh, I got the chance to talk to award-winning writer Jordana Arkin. Jordana has written for a number of television shows, both for animation and for more general audiences. Uh, She's also written video games. She wrote two episodes of What's New Scooby-Doo, one in the second season, one in the third season. First one was uh, The Vampire Strikes Back, and the second one was Farmed and Dangerous. Uh, It was really great getting to talk to Jordana and get her perspective on coming into the show. She had two different experiences with both episodes, uh, which was kind of kind of interesting. I liked getting that sort of compare and contrast. And not only was it great having my first guest from the What's New Scooby-Doo show, but Jordana is also the first woman who has worked on the show to be on the podcast. That was wonderful to be able to just be able to get the, the woman's perspective of Scooby-Doo. There's a lot of great women who are attached to the franchise, from writers to voice actors to voice directors, above the line, below the line, all over the line. And I'm glad to finally have that, or start to have that represented on the podcast. So, there you go. Before I get into the interview proper, though, I just want to also say that I have recently passed my third anniversary. I've been so busy with other stuff that I wasn't even keeping track of it, and I got a Facebook notification of when I posted my very first episode, which went up on November 12th, 2016. And it is November 12th, 
2019. So happy birthday to me. Happy anniversary. However, however you want to phrase it. However you should phrase it. Don't want to make a big deal about it. There's nothing else kind of going on. So I just wanted to acknowledge it. It's kind of cool and exciting that I'm still here and I'm still doing this as irregular as it sometimes is. And I'm so glad that you guys have kept up with this and, and followed me sort of on this journey. And I'm hoping to get more and bigger and better conversations and things and just grow the podcast and see what happens in 2020. Yeah, so that's all I wanted to say about that. So we'll get you started on the first part of the Jordana Arkin interview. It is going to be split into two parts as so many of the interviews on the podcast are. Without further ado, here's what you have all been waiting for, what you all came for. Part one of my conversation with What's New Scooby-Doo writer, Jordana Arkin. We'll see you on the other side. But it sounds like somebody's trying to scare you out of here. Why would someone do that? That's what we're going to find out. And I know exactly what we need to do. Split up? Nope. Set a trap. What? But you always want us to split up before you set a trap. Really? I never noticed that. So we're here talking to Jordana Arkin, who was a writer for... A couple episodes on the What's New Scooby-Doo iteration of the franchise. Uh, we're very happy to have her here chatting with us. Jordana, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. Good. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I usually do at the beginning of any of the conversations is to ask, uh, what was your first experience with Scooby-Doo? Were you an avid Saturday morning watcher? Was it something that came to you later? Uh, I completely grew up on on the old Scooby-Doo, watching it. I was pretty obsessed with it. I really wanted to be Daphne, but I think I felt more like Velma. (laughs) (laughs) But I I basically watched it for, and I love the comedy, and I love dogs. So that was definitely one of my uh, must-see cartoons growing up. It's interesting that you say you wanted to be Daphne, because so many people, kind of looking back at the show, uh, feel that, especially early on, uh, she was a pretty flat character, so I was wondering she's what was pretty. attracting you to that. Okay, <laughs> she was pretty. You know, she was pretty, and she had this great figure, and she looked good with Fred. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Daphne's either, actually sorry. Like my like myself and my my friends, like we would watch shows that either had really cute guys that you wanted to watch. Like the Brady Bunch, you know, you were watching it for like the to look at the boys, or you would watch a show to look at a pretty like the Charlie's Angels. Going, I wish I had looked like that. Right. So those were, so Daphne was that. I had a. <laughs> I mentioned to you a few minutes ago that I talked to Dwayne Poole. Uh, sure. One of the things that I that I do, I'm I'm one of those. I don't like the. The way things have sort of gone with pop culture where, oh, you know, Shaggy and Scooby are a stoner and Fred's always splitting up with Daphne <laughs> because they're going and boning. and Because, uh, I don't know, for, for some reason that just... No. And I'm not trying to be prudish about it either. It just, it feels no. like forcing something onto something that's not there. And just from everything that I've read and, and uh, from what Ruby and Spears, you know, had planned, the whole Maynard G. Krebs and yada, yada, yada. Um, and another one of the theories, fan theories, was that Velma and Daphne had a thing. And uh, uh-huh. as I was running through sort of the list of the the popular fan theories with Dwayne Poole, he was like, yeah, no, I don't think they were stoners. And no, and, that, and then when I got to the Daphne and Velma, he was like, oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, that's funny. 
That's pretty funny. No, I like the innocence of it. Yeah. That's why, you know, as a little girl, you're like, okay, she's pretty. Like, I just, you know, you don't, you're not thinking about all of the implications of any of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they were teenagers and, yeah. uh, they never. No, I, mean, I don't like that. I mean, I think, I think some of it is because of how the, the Brady Bunch movie. Yeah. Pushed that. I think that's probably where, didn't that come before the movie? And they never really, the relationship stuff came like so much later. Yeah. Like, it wasn't built into the, the early shows. And that's actually one of the theories that I have for why the show has lasted as long as it has, because there are some shows where, I mean, I was watching some Jetsons earlier and uh, I was kind of shocked. I didn't remember how traditionally domestic Jane was. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, she had to push those buttons. Yeah. And it was it was so of the time. And even though, yeah, even though you had like the two guys and the and the two girls, yeah. and but there was no. That's my favorite one, though. That was my favorite one of all the Hanna Barbera shows. Jetsons. Really, you're a Jetsons fan? Because I'm a huge Jetsons fan. Because I I did get to meet when I was doing my second episode. I got to meet Joe Barbera. Yeah. Because they they go, you have to go meet with him. And I went, what? Why? You know, I mean, I'm thrilled, but why? And they said, they said, oh, he likes to hear the ideas because it was I was already in in process of doing it. So, but they're like, you have to pitch it to him. I'm like, but I'm already right. I've already written it. <laughs> and 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 they said it's part of it. So I'm like, great. So um, I go to meet with him, and I said to him, I go, I just I've always wanted to say to you that what I loved about the Jetsons growing up was it was the only show that had a positive life of in, in the future yeah where it looked cooler to be in the future everything else was apocalyptic and all this but the Jetsons made it hopeful and that's what I loved about it and I thank you for doing a show like that and they're like oh do you want him to sign anything I'm like you mean like this Jetson cell in my purse <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would be great <laughs> so I got him to sign my cell they 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 that's, offered. That's fantastic. Um, so yeah, it was really cool. Uh, okay, so you hi- one of my highlights in my life. <laughs> so you watched Scooby Doo. Obviously, you were a Jetsons fan. Was there anything else that you're a big fan of at the and time? Flintstones. And Flintstones. Flintstones. Well, I ultimately became a sitcom writer. Yes. You know, was sort of and I, you know, Brady Bunch, all that. Those are the shows that I loved. So the animated sitcoms worked better for me. Like, as opposed to Looney Tunes and the short kind of, you know, just gaggy kind of action stuff. I like more of stories. So um, those were all my favorites. Any Anyone like that, Flintstones, Jetsons. It amazed me when I started doing, because uh, as well as covering Scooby-Doo, I also sort of have the broader sort of Hanna-Barbera line under the umbrella. Uh, I, I talk about some of the other stuff sometimes. And... Uh, for the first time in I don't know how many years, I was actually watching the credits of the Flintstones episode and just the names that I was noticing, like Mike Maltese, who was, you know, one of those classic Warner Brothers gag guys, and he was a writer on the Flintstones. And oh, see, you never know. I was well, like, my very first, my very first job, professionally writing, you know, that I got paid to write was for Hanna Barbera. I met a guy. I was I wanted to be a sitcom writer, and I was at the library doing research on a sitcom I was writing. And I met a guy at the copy machine, you know, just talking conversation. I'm, I was 
I don't, I wasn't married at the time, <laughs> but I had some great <laughs> friends that was purely, purely like, oh, I'm holding a script. You're holding a script or something. And, um, he, I said, oh, what do you do? And he said, I'm a freelance writer. I write for Hanna-Barbera and I do, you know, advertising, you know, sort of a part-time job for him. And I said, wow, I go on well, trying to break in as a writer and animation seems really cool. Uh, would you mentor me through a script? And he's like, yeah, you know, and I, cause I, he was single and I was having a singles party for my friends, like a Valentine's Day party. I go, I'll invite you to that if you help me with the script. <laughs> made the deal. So, so, uh, he helped me through a script and then they were having a kind of a cow call of writers for this new show, but it was live action. It, it was wraparounds to go around the new wacky racers. Okay. And, and Fender Benders 500 or whatever, they were, they were going to be live action wraparounds around these two things. It was called Wake, Rattle, and Roll. And I went into the cattle call, and there were, you know, 25 writers, whatever, were there. And they showed us what it was going to look like. And then they were like, okay, come up with ideas and you'll pitch. And, you know, we have like 15 scripts to give out. I was like, okay, that sounds, my odds are pretty good, you know. So, but then they go, you have to pitch on the phone. I'm like, okay. So, I called the story, the story at a time, Kelly Ward, and I'm pitching on the phone and I had never pitched before and I'm sweating. I'm like <laughs> rambling. I don't even know what I'm saying, you know, all this stuff. And he goes, okay, bring it. He goes, he goes, I actually think you have something there, but why don't you work on it on the weekend and get yourself together? Like, and call me back on Monday. <laughs> and I said, okay, thanks. So, I did that. I called him back on Monday. I'm like, okay, I got it. Blah, 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 you know. And he goes, okay, we'll buy that one. And I was like, wait, like really? And he goes, yeah, come in tomorrow. Come in the office tomorrow. I was like, that's great. <laughs> I'm like, thank you for giving me a second chance, you know. <laughs> and I ended up writing like seven episodes or something like that. And that was the beginning of my career. Because then, because I had the Hanna Barbera, even though it was live action, Jennifer Aniston was in my episode. This was pre Friends. And I'm like, why isn't she doing more? She's really good. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, Danica McKellar, whatever, she was in one. So um, it was great. It was a great first experience watching something I wrote, come alive. I was on the set, everything. Rob Paulson was, did the voice on the show, big animation guy. And um, those Ninja Turtles and all that, a million things. And he, um, so anyway, it was a great first experience. He was so nice. And because I had Hanna-Barbera, I was able to cold call different animation story editors. So right. I would call someone, I would get their names off the show, and I called, you know, I'm trying to think of some name. Well, I called Ralph Sanchez, was it Ruby Spears, I think, at the time or something. And he took my call, and he's like, come in and pitch. And I, doors started opening that way for me nice. um, at that time. Yeah, because I kind of learned, like, story editors are just kind of, like lonely people sitting in an office by themselves. Like they were really <laughs> accessible and you could call them and they would either give you, if they couldn't take your pitch, they would give you names to call. So I would get different names and I would call different people and I pitched a lot at that time. And Ralph ended up giving, I mean, we became friends. I'm still friends with him today. He was at Disney at some time and he gave me a pilot for uh, Bonkers to Bobcat or whatever it was, a Disney show. Yeah, and I he was a pilot the, for that. police and, officer, yeah. Yeah. I wrote the pilot, you know, and I mean, they changed everything. He goes, well, you were the sacrificial lamb, you know, <laughs> like somebody had to write that pilot. And I didn't know how to write a pilot at that time. And I was like, I can't even remember it, you know, what I did. But uh, that kind of opened those doors. And so um, I did more animation. And then I 
got on the Mickey Mouse Club, and I went to Orlando. That's why I'm going to the reunion for that. <laughs> so what <laughs> year with was all the, the kids? Sorry, uh, what year was sure. the the first Hanna Barbera gig? I'm not good at years. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> I remember how old I was, but I don't remember the years, so I have to like go backwards. <laughs> Do the math. Um, early nineties, something okay. like that. So were they were they still at the old building yeah. at that time? Yes, it was a maze. <laughs> they'd have to walk me there every time from the front to the office. And one time they go, "You're on your own," and I was like, "What? Wait, what?" <laughs> It was like being in a hospital maze, you know, you're just like, I don't know where I'm going. But yeah, it was uh, it was cool to have been there. I'm always interested, uh, again, like I said to you earlier, there's so little like behind the scenes stuff on a lot of these shows because so much of the Hanna-Barbera catalog was sort of, I don't know, people still view it as very disposable entertainment. Um, yeah, probably. And I know, it's hard to believe. Yeah, so getting to talk to people who have actually, you know, been in the building at, at Cuenca Boulevard and, and talked, you know, to Barbara or Hannah and, and worked with these people. I'm always interested to know sort of what the vibe was like well, at the time and, and being at that I studio. Just, well, yeah, well, Kelly Ward, who um, was the first person who gave me my first script, he wasn't the one who um, I met at the library. <laughs> that, that, that was the person I give credit for getting me my first job, David Schwartz. Um, but uh, Kelly actually gave me the job, so I, I give him that. And then years later, I was at Disney. I co-developed a show called Star vs. the Forces of Evil, right. and Kelly was on the list of potential voice directors. And I went, oh, my God. I'm like, well, I have to pay it forward. I mean, this this is the guy who gave me my break, like my first script. I go, I have to hire him. This is a great opportunity <laughs> to do that. And so we did. We hired him and uh, got to work together again. So, and that was just you know, a few years ago. So you basically just, the momentum started and you just kept going because looking Pretty at... Pretty much. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, it was a little slow at times, but because I was going, I was bouncing back and forth between like... The Mickey Mouse Club was a sketch variety sketch show, right? And um, that was so that was live action again. And then, then I did um, a show called Hang Time, which was one of Peter Engel's Saved by the Bell, you know, under the Saved by the Bell banner. Um, I did that, which was a sitcom, you know, NBC morning sitcom. Did Saved by the Bell. Then uh, I did animation. I did other stuff. I did. Uh, Totally Spies was an animated show. Other things in between. I can't even remember, to be right. honest, because I did a lot. Oh, hey, Arnold. I did um, some Nickelodeon freelance animation, uh, Angry Beavers. I did a bunch of that stuff. Yeah, it sort of launched that. And then I caught a break and I, an adult sitcom, you know, I, I did um, some shows, a show called Significant Others was on Bravo and Sons and Daughters was a show on ABC and I did it well in Grace and I did all this stuff once I once I got into that er- arena I started doing that stuff but I always kept my hand in um, animation and kid stuff when I was doing the adult stuff because I'm like I never knew when that was going to run out but I'm like kid stuff is going to be around forever and I have credibility and a lot of credits doing it so people will keep letting me do it 
And so I, I joke that I was the only person probably writing a Will and Grace in a Scooby-Doo at the same time. <laughs> That's actually something I've heard a lot of writers, especially freelance writers, uh, say where, you know, don't just throw all your eggs in one basket. Don't just work for one studio or one company or publisher or whatever. Like you're freelance, you know, like spread it out and, and keep the, yeah. what's the yeah, word I'm looking for? Do, keep the I gravy do. chain rolling, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm really good at keeping my contacts up, and people, you know, they're like, even from, I still talk to everybody from high school, that kind of thing, like, everyone's like, you're so good at that, I'm like, yeah, I don't know, it just, um, if I like the people, I will keep in touch, and uh, that has helped me, because a lot of my credits are repeat business, like, I wrote, uh, I was, I wrote a video game, my first video game was for Activision, uh, they asked me to write Kung Fu Panda, the video game. Right. They were looking for comedy writers. Uh, that's the, my one common thread is I only do comedy. So I wrote Kung Fu Panda, the video game, and I wrote, now I'm on my 10th game. You know, so I, I do that in between too. Kind of a side gig. So you found, you're, you're writing live action sitcoms and you find yourself back with a Hanna-Barbera property. How did you get on to What's New Scooby-Doo? Did you go in and pitch for that? Or were they... Did you hear that they were looking I for people? Think, I'm guessing, you know, to think back, that it was either an agent that my agent said they're looking for people. Probably not. I think I probably knew an exec at the time at Warner Brothers who said, you know, how'd you like to come in and, and do an episode? And I probably said, okay, <laughs> that's probably what happened. So I met with George Doty, who was the story editor at the time, and Ed um, Sheeran. And I went in and they said, I think I had a pitch, the first one. They gave me the second story, the first story. So I was kind of like, wow, I haven't really write, written a mystery before. I'm not really sure how to do that, but I'll make it funny and <laughs> maybe they won't notice <laughs> so, <laughs> and and my husband um is in special effects and everything and he watches a lot of you know sci-fi mystery all that stuff so i'm like all right help me um with the details so um a kind of a combination of getting a little help and uh and in his honor i titled it uh the vampire strikes back because you know, for star wars Right. Um, I gave him. I, I did that for him, <laughs> and um, it turned out well. The first, my first uh, episode was really fun, and it was the first interactive episode where the answer was on the internet of who did it. Oh, I didn't they know about that. They actually cut it off at yes. They cut it off at the end, and you would have to go online and guess who did it. And I was like. Well, I know who did it. <laughs> like I can, I can. And you get a free video or DVD. You get a free DVD at the time. I was if you get, yeah. I was watching the show at the time, and I did not know about that. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? Interesting. When they Very told me that, they're like, "This is the first interactive episode," the kind of thing. I was like, "Oh, that's cool." So you would go to the Warner Brothers website. Where did it cut off? I think it cut off before they revealed who it was. Like before and Daphne then they wipes it off. Again, where they showed you. Then, the, then in the future, they played it again where they showed you. Right. But I think okay. they cut it off before they revealed. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't watching it because. So they're probably just the trying to drive traffic to their website and. Exactly. Be all progressive yeah. and interactive. And, and give away, you know, DVDs. Yeah. 
cool. the winners. I mean, to the first like fifty people or whatever it was. I think. Yeah, I've actually. I know. I'm glad we're at Vampire Strikes Back now because I've got a lot of questions about it. <laughs> um, oh, I'll do my best. Yeah, well, it was it was really interesting because finding out that it was kind of part of that whole interactive thing is. I was going to point out that it's it's sort of a standout episode because I mean your reveal is in the first five minutes like you're you're sort of doing it backwards or deconstructing the formula. Oh really? <laughs> I'm sure it came from me not knowing what I was doing. Because <laughs> usually you get introduced to your cast. The first person you're introduced to is most likely the person who is going to be unmasked at the end, and everything you find some clues, uh-huh. you set a trap, right, and then you get to the end. Like that's sort of the formula when you get the unmasking, and would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. And within the yeah. first five minutes, we have the vampire being unmasked, and you're like, "Well, where are oh, we going right, from it here?" Was a trick. That's right. It was a trick. Yeah, because yeah, it was a twin. I remember that. And then you have uh, Velma saying, I guess we're going to split up now. And Fred's like, no, we're going to do the trap. And it's like, oh, that's new. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. I do remember that now. Yeah, there's that little trick in there. I was interested in maybe if you can remember why you were playing around with a format like that or if you were asked to do that. I know. I'm trying to think if I was asked to do that. Uh, I think it was tricky. I think I was asked to do it because of having the twins like we had to figure out how to do it where yeah I believe it I was asked to do it okay I don't think it was my genius (laughs) 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 I think because I think it was tricky like how are we going to pull the story off I think it was a tricky story so you pitched the episode how much of it was the pitch and how much of it grew from there that I can't tell you exactly. Things okay. evolve so much, and they evolve as a group, the three of us talking about it, so it's hard to say. Right. You know, you come in with kind of the bones of the pitch, and then you talk about it, talk about it, and it evolves into something else. So it's really hard to say. But, I mean, that was the essence of the pitch, was the evil twins and vampire and everything. So having never written Scooby professionally before, did you go back and yeah. watch some old episodes? Did you do some research? Yeah, I definitely read whatever scripts they had and and watched what the new episodes. I didn't watch any of the old, you know, I just watched what they were doing because they already had some. And were there any guidelines? Um, I mean, obviously every show has its style and and potentially a Bible. (laughs) Usually the guidelines is not past page 20 or whatever, <laughs> whatever, how many pages, you know, um, usually those are the guidelines. Um, there are some shows me. that are just really, I guess the, the oversight is very little, so they kind of just do what they want, and some of them are like, nope, you know, this has to be like this, and this is the character that needs to be like this, and I know Warner Brothers has been a little hands-on with Scooby at times. So I was... You're the first person I've talked to uh, from What's New, so this is... Oh, okay. I mean, I personally felt like they let me do my thing. You know, they... I didn't feel... I felt like they let me write the first draft how... with just the... with a basic outline, you know, that where I got to put in my jokes and my style and whatever. I thought... I I didn't feel uh, constricted in that respect. And was the Hex Girls your idea? No. They they gave me, they go, you have to write the Hex Girls. But I get to write the song. I came up with the song. That, better Wed Than Dead. I mean, Better Dead Than Wed. 
That was it. Better oh, I thought it was <laughs> Petrified Bride. Yeah, Petrified Bride is the name of the song. Yes. yes. But but the the idea was, you know, you're better off dead than marrying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Is... Petrified Bride is the name of the song. But I thought, though, the concept is kind of funny. If they're goth, if you know, you're better off dead than getting married. I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you uh, what the sort of genesis of that song was because it seemed like a. I wouldn't normally associate the Hex Girls with you know a wedding kind of scenario, and yeah. it was just that was going to wed, but know. then I fled. I was like, this is this is really interesting. Right. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. They kind of just let me do my thing because I was like, I don't know. It's like, you want my heart. I want your ring. You know, you'll know that when I sing or whatever. (laughs) I was like, was was there something going on in her personal life at this time? (laughs) I know. It's it's funny. I met my husband in 19. I'm still happily married. Everything's great. It just was, I just thought, I don't know, goth chick. You know, like, what would a goth chick be like? Sort of made this kind of punky song you know doesn't want to be traditional doesn't want to be tied down yeah you know <laughs> yeah i just thought you know and it, it, i thought it was sort of empowering you know for them like we don't just have to get married like it's not just about like doing the traditional thing right because that's to me what gaff is it's like oh we're not traditional that's why putting them in a wedding dress or that kind of thing like it's not traditional. Like if you were watching MTV at that time, that they would like Madonna doing her thing and whatever. Yeah. You know, that's that's I think that was in the back of my mind when I was thinking about it. <laughs> and when I saw that, I also thought, I mean, obviously Jane Weedlin is kind of famously one of the Hex Girls, and I thought, how cool is that okay. that you're writing a song for one of the Go Go's? Yeah, and you, then... I didn't know that till now. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the credits of the episode, it says uh, song written by, uh, is it Rich Dixon? I'm... Yeah, I, don't, I only wrote, you know, I wrote some of the You wrote the lyrics, lyrics. right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's the composer's name and, and your name, the lyricist's name, and then it says performed by the Hex Girls, and it lists Kimberly Brooks, uh, Jennifer Hale, and Jane Weedland. Wow. But Jane Weedland cool. was not in the credits of the episode, and she normally plays dusk so then i was like well maybe mm. you maybe you didn't write one for <laughs> oh but it yeah, was I, I mean she might not have been available but then i mean she is in the credits as performing the song so oh so she must have done the song but didn't we didn't give her any lines maybe oh dusk had lines because dusk quits the band oh so when someone else did the line i don't know i don't, I don't know that's, were you present for the record did you that's deep i was present for the record yes I did go to the record because I wanted to see Casey Kasem and Frank Welker and uh, Mindy Cohen. I, I was like, I want to see these people. Yeah. <laughs> so and meet them. I thought that would be cool. So yes, I was there, and she was. None, it was just the main cast, though. Okay. So it wasn't anyone else. Uh, yeah. So I need to do more digging. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is interesting. But, but that was can, fun. Until I find out otherwise, you can you can put that notch on your belt so yeah I, I like it and I like the residuals <laughs> I get on the uh, or royalties I get on the music I still for BMI I still get those yeah I've heard that from 
uh, several animation writers as well. They try and uh, the Futurama guys and the Simpsons guys like always yeah. trying to squeeze songs in there. <laughs> oh my god, I completely. It's, um, it's the only way to really make money in animation. Yeah, um, well, I have my my favorite line. My favorite line in in the episode is when, and I couldn't believe they kept it, was when Velma put on the wedding dress because she was supposed to be one of them in disguise. Yeah. And she, and we just cut to her, and she goes, "My mother would have a heart attack." <laughs> my favorite line comes right Thanks. after that. Oh, really? When Daphne says, "Why does Velma get to wear the dress?" and Fred goes, "Because Shaggy doesn't have the hips for it." Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> I might have written that too. I don't remember. <laughs> but I like Velma just because I thought like. She's somebody who never wears a dress or never, yeah. you know, and, and, and I thought my mom would, my mother would have a heart attack. <laughs> that was sort of over everybody's head, but I loved it. I, that's why I was surprised they kept it. <laughs> How was and it you for just you? kept her face in it. Yeah. But How I like, right, Shaggy doesn't have the hips for it. That was a good one, too. I don't remember that one. <laughs> Velma does have that great, after she sings the lyrics from the song and she finishes it with a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good. Mindy well, sold it. They, it they, they said to me they liked my Daphne. Because I, I really, I like that character, even though people say things that maybe she didn't have a strong character. But I like that character, so I gave her a little bit more lines and personality, I felt, and Velma's especially, too. That was the highlight for me, though, writing it. Because most of the writing I did before that was for characters that didn't exist you know, from the past, like usually original shows and yeah. stuff. And when I sat down and I'm typing Velma and I'm going, I can't believe I'm writing for Velma that I grew up on. That was the biggest trip for me. And that brings to a close the first part of my conversation with What's New Scooby-Doo writer, Jordana Arkin. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I certainly had fun talking to Jordana. And as I said in the introduction of the show, it was really nice to get uh, a woman's perspective on the franchise. And I'm hoping that moving forward, that'll be something that I can do more often. If you're curious, part two of the interview should be going up soon, probably in the next week or two. Uh, as I've stated in previous episodes, I'm really trying to roll the content out. I'm trying to finish 2019 on a strong note and I've got a lot of stuff kind of backlogged and I want to just make up for the hiatus that I sort of took over the summer. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on and unfortunately uh, this podcast and the other podcast that I do uh, for your consideration, a film podcast, I don't, I've never really promoted my other podcast on the show. I might, I might start doing that. FYC show at FYC show on Twitter for your consideration. Check it out. Me and my co-host Dustin Friesenhan, we talk movies might be worth your while. Anyways, the podcast suffered, and so I'm just trying to get it back up to level, get things that I wanted to do in motion, and just get the blood flowing again. So I hope you're getting that. I hope you're enjoying the stuff that's coming out. And if you want to let me know what you think of this episode, or the podcast in general, or just whatever is on your mind, you can find me on social media. I am at uh, Scooby-Doo Cast on Twitter. I'm uh, podcast name Scooby-Doo on Facebook, podcast name Scooby-Doo on Instagram, 
There's scoobydoocast.wordpress.com if you want to check out the companion blog to the show. And if uh, if you're digging on Jordana, if you want to check out Jordana online, you can find her at J-O-R-A-R-K-I-N, at Jorarkin on Twitter. And you can follow her there, and she posts stuff. And you can keep abreast of what Jordana's up to. I know she has something in the works right now that's uh, coming down the pipe at some point, so I'm sure she'll be posting about that stuff when it comes. That's really about all I have for right now. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show and checking the show out. A lot of the last three years has been possible because of your support and the fact that you guys stream and download and check out the show and remind me that I'm not just doing this for myself and doing it in a vacuum. So thanks again. And be sure to come back next time for part two of my conversation with Jordana Arkin. With that, I will take my leave of you guys. So take care. Thanks so much for being there. We'll catch you next time on a podcast named Scooby-Doo. Everybody cheer! This is how we solve the mystery. This is how we solve the mystery. So in summation, this narration is my donation to the art of mystery solving dictation. And here's what the bad guys say when they play where the law forbids. What a kind of way with it too, if it wasn't for you meddling kids. This is how we solve the mystery. Bye.